and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Malin, and I'm so excited to be here with you. On today's show, we're talking about fabric storage. No matter what size your stash is, having the right organization system and the right storage tools can make a world of difference when you're choosing fabrics for a project. We hope the tips we share today will help you get your fabric under control. We're also sharing a storage product we're loving right now, behind the scenes look at what's happening in the office, and tips for using and storing acrylic rulers and templates. We end the episode with an interview with Annette Plog of Petite Quilts. It's a conversation you don't want to miss, so let's dive right in. Fabric organization and storage is one of the struggles that most quilters can relate to. We all have fabric. Some of us may have a lot of fabric and we're always on the lookout for the best way to organize it in our spaces. I'm here with Doris Brunette, the editor of Quilt Sampler, to talk through some ideas for getting your fabric under control. Yes, Lindsay, it seems like fabric organization is one of those never-ending journeys. Um, For me, as my fabric collection grows, my quilt style evolved, my likes and dislikes, um, my sewing space changed at least five times due to moves. (laughs) Um, So my fabric organization system needed to change with all of those things. It's a constant battle for many of us and a solution that felt perfect five years ago may not feel good today and need to be updated today. Fabric organization is also a really hard subject to talk about because everyone's needs are different. What works for Doris and I may not work for you. So we're going to talk some basics today that will hopefully apply to most people and get you started on an organization system that works for you. So the first thing you want to think about is how you're using your fabrics and what kind of projects that you gravitate toward. Do you pull fabric from your stash for specific color palettes? If that's the case, you may want to organize your stash in rainbow color order. Do you love patterns that use layer cakes or charm squares? You may want special storage for your pre-cuts and keeping fabric collections together. Do you only quilt for holidays and special occasions? Maybe you want to separate your fabrics by season, baby, and or other novelty type prints. And if you're a scrappy quilter, having a great scrap storage system may be more important to you than how you organize your yardage. Exactly. Next, you need to consider your space. Will your fabric be stored on open bookshelves? Will they be in drawers? Do you only have closet space? After you've identified where your fabric will be living, you can come up with the best storage solution. If you're sorting fabric on bookshelves, you may want to consider canvas bins to prevent to protect the fabric from direct sunlight. If you're storing fabric in drawers, you'll want to display them horizontal so you can see the fabrics and you may need drawer dividers to keep the fabric upright. If your fabric is going to a closet, you may want to consider see-through plastic tubs so you can stack them easily. You also want to consider your design aesthetic. Do you like to see all of your fabrics and do your fabrics act as decor? Or would you rather all of your fabric be hidden away? 
this is really important if you share your sewing space with another room <laughs> <Yep>. or <laughs> function in the house. Um, do you like to pull all your fabrics out when you're choosing them for a project? I like to. I like to be able to see everything um, and know what I have to pull from. So, Or do you want to pull out just the fabrics you need? Thinking through those questions can help you determine what type of container or system is best for you. Good points. If you want to see all your fabric, you might choose see-through plastic containers or even opt to just stack fabrics on a shelf. If you like your space to look neat and uniform, you may organize your fabrics in matching canvas bins or hidden in a stylish piece of furniture. If you love to look through all your fabrics for a project, you may want larger totes that contain fabrics of a special color or size to dig through. But if you like to see all your fabrics at once and then choose the perfect one, open shelving or mesh drawers may be best. You really need to customize for your space. So Doris, do you want to share some details of how you organize your fabrics? Absolutely. I've used most of these methods we've talked about in the past, <laughs> and I know what did not work for me. What does is keeping my fat quarters and yardage together on shelves, and I have a shelving system with glass doors on it. Um, to keep the dust and the dog hair, unfortunately, <laughs> off of my fabric. Um, they're arranged in color order with all of the styles and collections mixed together by color with just a few exceptions. I keep my batik separate, I keep my holiday fabric separate, and then the fabrics by my favorite fabric designer I keep on a separate <laughs> shelf by themselves. Um, and then for my scraps, I have clear boxes that um, follow kind of that same system, but they're tucked away in a closet. What about you, Lindsay? Yeah, we have similar organization uh, systems. So I organize my fabric on open bookshelves in color order. So it really looks like a rainbow across my room. So it also is that design element that I re really love. Um, but also I can easily see everything I have when choosing fabrics for a project. I have a few drawers in my sewing table that store all of my Christmas and Halloween fabric separately. And then in my closet, I store all my solids and my larger yardage. Um, and then I have my fat quarter bundles and some other special pre-cuts on top of all my bookshelves so they look pretty there. I don't store my fabric in any sort of container, uh, but my fabrics don't face direct sunlight and my room isn't shared, so it's easiest for me to have everything available for grabbing. Yeah, and like you said, it's kind of nice to have it out, all in rainbow color out where you can see it because it's just pretty. Yeah, and it's pretty. It's nice to be able to enjoy it. <laughs> it makes us happy, right? Yes. <laughs> um, everyone has a different organization system that works best for them. So if you're struggling with your own storage, take a few minutes to think through the questions we presented earlier in the show, and that should help you determine what be is the best system for you. Thanks, Doris. We'll post the questions to ask yourself in the show notes so that you can spend a little more time with them if needed. Now we want to talk about things that can damage your fabric so that you can better store them in your space. Caring for fabrics properly can increase how long they last. So Doris, what's the first thing to watch out for? Well, you mentioned in talking about your own space that uh, direct sunlight is a, it can be a concern, and you don't have to worry about that mm -hmm. in your room. Light is a biggie. Fluorescent lights and sunlight can both cause fabric dyes to fade and fabrics to become brittle. So if your fabrics are stored on open shelves, cover the windows with shades when the sunlight is shining into the room. Yeah, you also want to watch out for folds and creases. When stored for long periods of time, the fabrics along the folds begin to weaken and permanent creases can develop. I know I've definitely had some fabrics that no matter how much I press and iron them, those creases yeah. <laughs> are not coming out. 
So some some sewers refold their fabrics periodically to keep this from occurring, but we know this would be a really tedious task. So consider doing it for maybe larger yardage pieces. Yeah, unless you're somebody who likes to just take your fabric out and play with it every <laughs> once in a while. Right. Um, that, is, that can be a very tedious task. So. Um, another thing to watch out for is acid. Paper, cardboard, plastics, and unfinished wood in shelves, drawers, and trunks can release acid, what, what is sometimes called off-gassing, which is damaging to fabrics. Prevent your fabrics from coming into contact with these surface surfaces by storing them in either acid-free boxes, by laying acid-free tissue down on your shelves, or even just a cloth um, between your shelves and the fabric. Mold and mildew are other sources of damage, so always store your fabrics in cool and dry areas in your home. So if you're storing fabric in plastic totes or bins, make sure there's airflow and the bins aren't in direct sunlight, which can cause moisture to form. Usually attics, basements, and garages are not the best place to store your fabrics. That's true. And lastly, having clean hands and a clean work area will help preserve your fabrics. Wash your hands often when working on a project and avoid contact with food and drink. That's sometimes troublesome for people that like to have a little snack while they're <laughs> sewing, and I'm guilty of that myself. So <laughs> residues from the acids and salts on your hands or even hand lotion and in food products can attract insects, which can cause damage. Perfect. It's important to keep these things in mind since the last thing anyone wants is their beautiful fabric being damaged before they ever get a chance to use it. Right. It's an investment and you, you don't want it to go to waste. That's exactly. for sure. Or be disappointed that something's ruined when you take it back out to use it yep. because of you know, poor care. So we'd love to know about your personal fabric organization system. If you want to share with us, send us an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Thanks, Doris. We'll post some great ideas for fabric organization in the show notes, too, if you need a little bit more inspiration to get you started. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Now it's time for Reader Tips, a segment where we share your best advice to common quilting struggles. This week, we're sharing tips for working with acrylic rulers, everything from storing them to keeping them from slipping to using them for cutting. This first tip is from Leslie Muir Volpe from West Booth Bay Harbor, Maine. She says, I purchased an enamel cast iron napkin holder to store my acrylic rulers. It's attractive, fits on my cutting table, and is heavy enough that the rulers don't tip it over. I also keep a small cutting mat and a lazy Susan mat in the holder. It keeps them flat without taking up room on my cutting table. P. L. Simons of Wheat Ridge, Colorado says, To reduce slippage and error when rotary cutting, I glue circles of medium weight sandpaper to my acrylic ruler where they do not obscure important reference points. I use an extra large hole punch I bought at a craft store to punch the circles out of sandpaper scraps. Another tip about slipping rulers next from Elaine Reed of Lancaster, Ohio. She says, to prevent my ruler from slipping when I'm cutting fabric, I put several adhesive felt pads on the ruler's underside. I now have fewer miscuts and less wasted fabric. This is a classic tip from Jill Avalo Mead from Clive, Iowa. She says, my all-time favorite tip, measure twice, cut once. Sometimes I place a sticky note on my ruler where I need to cut. 
then I can easily refer to the stick-on reminder if I'm interrupted while I'm cutting. Joan Henry from Wilmington, Vermont says, if I do not have the correct size ruler for cutting squares, I draw marks on a ruler I do have. After I have cut all the fabric, I wipe the marks off with an eraser sponge. This way, I don't have to buy a ruler for each project. And our last tip is from Nancy Evans of Midvale, Idaho. She says, My favorite way to organize the rulers I use most often is to place them on a large picture easel near my cutting area. It makes them easy to see and grab while working on my projects. Those are some great tips. We love hearing these ideas from our listeners. So if you're interested in submitting your own tip for feature in the podcast or in our magazines, send an email of your tip to apqtips at meredith.com. I'm here with Joanna Bergerino, the editor of Quilts and More, for What We Are Loving, a segment where we share the trend, product, or person we're loving right now. So Joanna, what are you loving? Right now, I'm loving the Stash and Store Organizers by It's So Emma. They've been around for a while, and I know a lot of other quilters love them just as much as I do. But what surprised me a little is just how much I love them. I'm not usually one to buy more than one of a product, but I've been cleaning out my sewing room lately, and I think I found four of them so far, Lindsay, maybe more. Wow. I didn't even know I had that many, but that's a good, that's a sign of a good product, right? Yep. Um, I use all of them so much that I just kind of forget that they're there. So for those who aren't familiar with it, it's a plastic organizer that comes in two sizes, mini and regular. The top has rubber slots in an orange peel block design, and they can hold your notions, marking tools, and pens in an upright position. They come in the cutest colors. I think that's my favorite part. I'm a sucker for cute storage. <laughs> um, my favorite is mint green, but I also have pink, purple, and lime green. And it's a color palette that I can definitely get behind. And, yeah, I'm even thinking I might need a few more, Lindsay. I think I might need help. That's I don't even know where you're putting all of these, Joanna. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one at my desk, and one at my sewing machine table, one at my ironing board. Um, one needs a home but I'll find a spot for it. <laughs> and then I was thinking I, I might want to use one in my bathroom because I have a lot of makeup brushes that are just all over the place, and I love that things stand up straight in it. So everything that you need is just right at hand, and you can just pick it up and go and then put it back in, and it stands up. And, yeah, I think I'm a little obsessed, but they're really handy, and I'm someone who struggles with organization because – I hate putting stuff away where I can't see it. I'm one of those people where I need to see where it is. So I think that's why I love them so much. I have a few too, but I will, one more plug. They're really great for quilt retreats because they can keep all of, you know, kind of those tiny supplies just right at your workstation and handy so you don't get them mixed up or lost in the shuffle of everyone else's Oh, and that's a great idea because then they don't fall to the bottom of your bag. Maybe I need one for my purse, Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Joanna. And we'll link to this product in the show notes so that you can check it out. I'm back with Joanna for Behind the Scenes from the Crafts Lab, a segment where we share a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening in the office. So today I'm excited because I have some behind-the-scenes tidbits to share about our new series of bags in Quilts and More called Pack Your Bags. The first pattern came out in the Spring 2020 issue, which is currently on newsstands. Each year we do a series of four projects with one project per issue. 
I'd been looking into doing a bag series for a while now. So when we teamed up with the super talented bag designer, Jessica Vandenberg of So Many Creations, I knew this was going to be a good one. Like, I'm really excited for this series. (laughs) We have it planned so that each issue has a different style of bag, all beginner friendly and designed to help you build up your skills with things like zippers and top stitching straps. When you put them together, though, they make this really nice travel set when you have all four done, especially if you do them all in coordinating fabrics. Spring has a crossbody bag that's good for everyday use and also short day trips. And it had a very special model, didn't it, Lindsay? Yes, it did. So I actually got to be the model for this bag. Um, and we shot it back in December on a very chilly morning. And the leaves from the trees had just started to fall to the ground. So the park where we were shooting at had these like muddy brown leaves everywhere, which of course does not make for a pretty photo. So the designer of Coltsmore, Allison, actually had to get her snow brush from her car to clear the leaves from the background. And it was so funny watching her sweep the ground with her little brush. (laughs) Uh, But it was very worth it to get the beautiful photo of that bag. I never would have thought to use a snow brush as a rake. I must Allison is on it. Mm -hmm. She's crafty. Well, and that bag totally deserves the gorgeous shot that it got. So Um, one of the perks of being Quilts and More's editor is that I get to see and start our projects early. And that is exactly what I did. So I started the spring bag back in October, even though it just hit newsstands in January. And because I knew I probably wouldn't have it done in time, it ended up being my January UFO for the APQ UFO challenge for 2020. Um, So that was just some really good timing (laughs) right there. Uh, I actually just posted the bag on my Instagram account. And so you can see it there. Perfect. Well, link to your Instagram in the show notes so everyone can see it. Excellent. Um, If you have the spring issue, then you know that we already revealed that the summer bag is going to be a train case inspired toiletry bag. So again, perfect for traveling. Now, here's your behind-the-scenes sneak peek. I'm going to tease one of the upcoming bags and not the summer one, which you've already seen. So for the fall issue, the bag is going to be a backpack. I've always been a little intimidated to sew my own backpack, but this one is just so cute and stylish and attainable that uh, I'm going to face my fears and make one. Fun, and a backpack is perfect for back-to-school that fall season. Absolutely. Thanks, Joanna. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social. On today's interview, I had the pleasure to chat with Annette Plog of Petite Quilts. Annette is a talented quilter and is the person who first introduced me to the history of quilts. She's an antique quilt collector, and her block exchange group, 19th Century Patchwork Divas, has been replicating antique quilts for more than 20 years. In our chat, we discuss her background as a quilter, tips for starting a block swap group, what she looks for when buying an antique quilt, and her book, True Blue Quilts. Enjoy! Hi, Annette. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you for having me. So why don't you start by giving us a little background about how you began quilting? I began quilting uh, the mid-80s. Actually, I always loved antique quilts, and I asked my mother at one point, where are all our family antique quilts? She promptly told me they were stolen. Now, whether that's true or not, that's her story, and she's sticking to it. But we didn't have any, and so I thought, well, I guess I'll have to either purchase them or start making quilts of my own. 
and um, purchase wise when you have a you know your, your young family you don't have money to do that so I decided since I knew how to sew and a friend of mine said piecing is easy compared to some of the garments that I had made for my my children and she said you can piece so I took a, a class my first uh, quilt was a Lone Star which is a difficult one but that's the class that was offered so that's the class I took and uh, have been quilting ever since I've and I don't wouldn't I couldn't even venture to guess how many quilts I've made and given away and done other stuff with but that's how I got started quilting was wanting to have quilts for the home we didn't have any in our family so I love it so you had a quilt in the December issue of American Patchwork and Quilting and uh, we featured one that you had made from blocks from a swap so you actually participate in a lot of block swaps so can you give us some tips in participating in one or what to expect I think one of the uh, first things you need when you do a block swap is to have someone that's going to control it a leader in our block swap group we have actually two leaders that kind of handle things but you need a leader someone to take control of it you need rules and you need specific rules um, we're all artists so you know sometimes we don't think the rules apply to us you know oh I, they say red but I really like green so I'm gonna do green anyway uh, so you need specific rules for people to follow and you need people that are like-minded in what you're going to produce. Uh, we all love reproductions. We all love reproducing antique quilts, and that's how our group got started. We would find an antique quilt. We would think, we want, we want that quilt. We want to reproduce it. And so we would look at the quilt. We would pick out the fabrics we wanted to reproduce. And so we had specific um, guidelines that we would work from. But if you are not a group that likes reproductions, you like more moderns, you, you just need to make sure that everybody's on the same page as to what will be produced. And I think those are, you need to set a, a deadline as to when they're due, because again, we're, we're artists, we think, we, oh, that deadline doesn't apply to me. But you need to set a deadline and you need to stick to it. And if you have people that are part of the group that just can't seem to stick to the rules, Maybe you don't ask them next time. So, I mean, because you, you, you end up whether if you, if you um, make your blocks, you may make 100 blocks exactly the same or a period of, you're still making 100 blocks. And you want to, you give quality, you want to receive quality. And you also want to receive something like you've given what you expect to get back. So I think rules are probably the most important. A leader and rules and a deadline. Those are the three things that you need. So. I think I would do good with the block swap because I like yeah. rules. I, I am also a rule follower and break those rules. Yes. Yeah. What is, for block swaps, what is the most number? You said like 100 blocks. Is that oh. a, an average? Um, we have done, it depends on the size of the block and what we're reproducing. If it's a, a big 12-inch block, like one we're doing right now is like a big 18-inch block, I will make... 15 to 18 of those blocks but they'll be pretty much all alike but that's all you're going to need to make the quilt uh, so when they're much smaller sometimes we have hundreds but again they'll say like um, 10 sets of 10 blocks so I'm making a hundred but I'm making 10 alike and 10 alike and 10 alike so I think one we I think oh, we ended up doing because sometimes we we have about 25 people in the group but not everybody participates so if everybody's making blocks sometimes you end up with sometimes close to 200 blocks how, depending on how small they are yeah how many block swaps do you do a year uh right now we with our 
our diva group, our 19th century patchwork divas, we do one a year. But I have a um, stitch group, we like to do those too. And I have a lunch group, we like to do those too. So you've, you can come together and eat lunch, but if you're swapping blocks, it's even better. And like a lunch group or something like that, we might say, let's swap a set of blocks each time we meet. And it might last the whole year. And each month we swap blocks during the group with the, with the lunch group. So that's how those are done sometimes too. So if you have a group of ladies that like to get together and stitch or just like to get together and eat, but you also love quilts in common and you got that in common, you can also wrap that into quilting, eating, stitching. It all goes together. Yeah. I would have a wine and block swap group. I think that would be great. Now, we have to have the blocks made prior to the wine. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think that would be wonderful. Yeah, sure. Wine and blocks. I like it. I like it. Okay. So, you mentioned that you are a lover of antique quilts. How many do you own and what do you look for when you're purchasing them? Um, I love blue and white quilts. And so, I've collected about a dozen, 10 to 12 blue and white quilts and then I have maybe five or six of different sizes just regular antique quilts and what I look for is I do look for a blue and like when I'm here and there are so just wonderful antique dealers antique quilt dealers I will look for a blue and white quilt but I also set a price range I can't spend thousands of dollars on a quilt um, so I usually set like between five hundred and a thousand dollars somewhere and I try to stay in the middle of that um, but if I pick up one or two each year, that well, that helps build my uh, my um, collection, and uh, that's pretty much what I look for. I look for something that's unique. I look for something like the blue and white. I like to fill in that, and maybe a special pattern. One I bought this time has a very interesting block pattern. It's a basket, but it's a very interesting basket, and it's larger. And so I thought. I can I have a blog and so I like lots of times I'll give free patterns out on the blog or show them how to make it and so I thought this one would be really interesting it's unique people might not have it it's just not your average basket so that's how I chose that one this time so and I'm still looking for the blue one. I haven't decided there's so many options <laughs> but so little money so that's, that's that's the that's the thing but as far as what I look for I look for something unique I look for something that will add to my blue and white collection and is also within my price range. That's probably the most important thing. So, Well, since you mentioned blue and white, we have to talk about your book, True Blue Quilts. Uh, did any of those blue and white antique quilts end up in that book? Um, no, they did not. Um, at the, t- the, the, the book covers the whole 1800s. It's 19th century blues. And the book is divided into three sections, early, middle, and late blues, and talks about the blues that you would see in antique quilts early, middle, and late. Uh, The blue and white quilts that are so popular were popular in the later 1800s, and um, because they were made, usually made with indigo, which was a very stable dye, they're still beautiful. They're, They're not faded. They're not they don't run they because they're usually with white or a real soft, light color. Uh, that indigo holds its color really well, and those quilts are were very popular, so they're very plentiful. And I can that's how I'm able to get them at a decent price is because there's a lot of them still there. But that's what the book is about. It it um, follows the history of blue fabric in the 1800s, and I but none of them. Mm, I'm trying to think, none of them are in that book per se. Per se. But maybe it's another book someday. You know. 
I keep I keep thinking <laughs> maybe that's another book I'll do because I do love blue and this the blue and white I'd love that mm-hmm. and the one that you did the uh, lost ships mm-hmm. now that one originally it was a blue and white mm-hmm. we our group had seen a it, it actually was a top and it was in country live country home it was on the end of a bed and we said we have to do that and so that was one that we did with a block exchange also. And we had indigos in that. We also had some blacks and morning prints in that one too and different shirtings. So, yes, that's actually my favorite from the book. I love it. I, that, love that that, I mean, that one was my favorite too, yeah, and I'm still chipping away at it. Hey, you know what? That's okay. You know, that's okay. There's no deadlines. You're not in a block exchange. <laughs> There's no deadlines for you. You can just keep on working on it. Okay, so when you're working with antique blocks or quilt mm-hmm. tops, I saw recently on Instagram you showed a tip for repairing oh, okay. yes. one of them that had a hole. Can you share that tip with our sure. listeners? I had I I love buying the blocks, and if I see a set of blocks that are a particular color that I like, and these were had a real strong cheddar with browns, and so I thought I'll just get six of those. I'll put them together. I'll make a little just a little table topper. Um, but some of them did have holes in it, and what I ended up doing was trying to find a fabric in my stash that matched and I used just Wonder Under or um, uh, what's that uh, but a, a, a fusible bond where I fused the fabric the color fabric to one side and then fused it and then fused it to the other side um, in that way if it peeked through a little bit you would still see the same color but it also the fusible bond helped hold that hole so I would be able to quilt through it now it's interesting you brought that one up we rescue, We have a new dog in our house. We got her in April named Roxy. She's about a 70-pound mix. It's like living with a small horse. She's huge. But you can't leave anything on the ground. And I happen to leave that quilting on the ground, and she's, she's put more holes in it. We'll put it that way. So we may be cutting some of those blocks out, and it may be a much smaller little table topper or something. <laughs> so anyway, we'll stay tuned on that. Yes, exactly. I, I will. Ha- I will. I will have to give an update on that. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. But that's that's what I did. I think that's really smart. Thank you. So all of your quilts are so beautifully scrappy, and I know part of that was from the block swaps. Yes, um, but do you have tips to share for organizing your scraps? Um. Yes, uh, I keep all my fabrics in colors, my stashes in colors. I put all the greens together, all the blues together, all the blacks together. That I also, when I'm put them up, putting them up on the shelves, if there's less than half a yard, I do something different with them. Um, if they're less than half a yard, I have them in another bin. I wish I was organized and disciplined enough to take all those pieces and cut them into squares or triangles or strips. I don't, I should, you should, <laughs> that would be a great way. And I think keeping your strips, if you cut strips like one inch, one and a half, two inch, keep the size strips together. And uh, But you can still, I, I love keeping the colors together because when I go to do something scrappy, I will start pulling from colors. That's where I start. Mm-hmm. So, What's the smallest scrap you've ever saved? Oh, <laughs> um saved for good or saved until I decided I didn't need to save it. I I think that when you make half square triangles, I, there's a way to make um, flying geese where when you cut it, there's waste. And everyone said, oh, make another stitch on that. You'll have another small half square triangle. I did that for a while, but I never did anything with them. 
So I ended up, uh, there's a shop in our area that any of your scraps, they'll take them in a bag and they donate them, or they, somebody makes dog beds out of them and they're donated to the shelters. And I thought, that's a much better place for my scraps than staring at me going, you should do something with those and feeling guilty that I haven't. So, so probably about maybe a half an inch little triangle. So, no. That's too tiny for me. <laughs> it is. It is pretty tiny. It's tiny for my big fat hands to work with. Yes. Okay. So I want to end the interview with a few quick questions. Hand quilting or machine quilting? I love hand quilting, although I do have a wonderful machine quilter, but I, I love hand quilting if possible. Yeah. Your quilts are so beautifully quilted. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'll tell my machine quilter. You said that. <laughs> or your hand quilt. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. I love, I like utility quilting actually. It makes it faster. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite color to use in a quilt? Can you guess? It's probably blue. I love blue. And I love indigo blues, dark blues. Yes. Your favorite block to make? I love log cabins. I think because you can get so many different colors in them. They're very geometric. They're symmetrical usually. You know, I'm very <laughs> very disciplined, very symmetrical. And yes, I love log cabins. Love them. That's my favorite block too. Right, yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite part of the quilting process? I like piecing. I the binding I hate the least I like the least I don't know what it is about binding I just it's like I should be finished and I still got to bind and then when you bind it it's like it has five sides I don't I, you, you think you finished and you turn it and go one more side I don't like the binding I love the piecing though mm-hmm. I like designing working with the block making the block piecing the block but mm-hmm. after that I'm I could give it to somebody else and let them finish. <laughs> See, because binding is my favorite part of the process. Really? Well, I, a lot of people, it is. It's like, it's relaxing. You do it by hand. You can, you know, watch Netflix. You can do all sorts of things while you bind it. But I don't know. I, I want to move on to the next project by that time. So, Well, thank you so much, Annette. I really enjoyed our interview. Thank you so much for having me. It's quite the honor. Thank you, Lindsay. I loved my chat with Annette. She's such a wealth of information, and I admire her dedication to her craft and preserving a quilt's history. We'll link to her book, blog, and social media sites in the show notes so that you can connect with her more. Before we leave today, I need your help. We're doing a survey about our podcast and want to know more about you. Tell us what you love about the podcast and about your quilting hobby. Your answers will be used to make our podcast even better. As a thank you, one respondent will receive a $250 Visa gift card. Visit allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast survey 2020 to take this short survey today. We'll also link to the survey in the show notes. A few minutes of your time will really help us give more of what you love on future shows. and thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All People Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week. Oh, 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 oh